we've been in, Colossians chapter 3, and it's been so rich. Uh, those of you who've been tuning in, it's, hasn't it just been so rich? Uh, looking at the Lord making us new. And this section in Paul's letter to the Galatians is really companion to that same idea in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so uh, when Pastor Brian asked if I would step in uh, and uh, preach, I thought, you know what? I would love to preach on the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I'm going to be preaching on today from Galatians chapter 5. So as we begin, let me give a little background because we haven't been in this book and I just want to give uh, a couple summaries uh, and say that you know, the book of Galatians is really fascinating because it's very argumentative. And Paul is laying out his argument against some false teaching that was happening in the churches that he planted in the region of Galatia. So You'll read it and you'll see that there's a lot of stark choices, right, between life and death, uh, between slavery and freedom and others. But what I want to draw our attention to in this background is that the argument that Paul is waging is not necessarily, though it includes, an argument over initial salvation, right? So these false teachers, who we could call agitators, uh, they believed that Jesus was the message that a person should believe in. There was no question there. So that really isn't where Paul is waging his argument. Secondly, it wasn't an argument over the fact that there will be in the future uh, a declaration that people will be right in the image of God, that they'll be vindicated, right? That will happen. We know that Jesus is bringing us to that end. Uh, and so what was being argued about was this sort of in-between space, right? How does the declaration that we are justified in God's sight and the future that we will be declared right when we stand before him, how does that play out right now? The argument in the book of Galatians is about life in between that declaration, that justification, and our future when we stand before God. It's about life right now. And so... As I begin this message, I want to explore your Christian life right now. And I want to ask, how are you doing? How is your Christian life going? And, you know, be as honest as you can be. You know, you could say silently to yourself, I'm doing good. Or you could say, I'm not doing good. Or I'm doing okay. How is your Christian life going right now. Take a second to just think that through, right? I'm asking you to kind of just survey the last week or so, the last month or so, the last six months or so. How is your Christian life going right now? So we've had a few minutes, a few moments to think about that. You've given an answer presumably uh, to yourself or otherwise. And uh, now I'm going to ask some more questions and I'm, I'm going to poke around a little bit here. And again, this comes from my pastor's heart uh, to move us forward in the Lord. And I want to ask you this, what makes you give the answer that you gave? 
Why did you say, oh, I'm doing poorly, or I'm doing fine, or I'm doing okay, or I'm doing great? You know, what makes you give that answer? Another way to ask that is, what is the reason you said what you said? And I want you to think about that, if you can, for a minute. Is it possible that, you know, you've had a good or a tough week and you're kind of just feeling down? And so your answer, whether good or poor, is that it's related to how you're feeling? Or perhaps, you know, you're wrestling through some things morally, that you know that you're doing some things morally uh, that you're not proud of, or maybe you're having victory in areas morally. And so you're, man, my Christianity is going great. What made you give the answer that you gave? Or perhaps, you know, we're in this COVID-19 uh, situation here and your Christianity is, is doing great because maybe you've joined back with the church as they've resumed gathering and you're just like, oh, just to be together. It feels so good. It's so good. And that's true, right? Or maybe it's because we haven't been able to be together for so long and you're just feeling, oh, it's not, my Christian life isn't, it's not going as well as it could or should. Perhaps, you know, you've had a really strong week thinking about uh, spiritual things where you've been in the word, reading God's word, digesting that God's been speaking to you, or you've been praying regularly like your goals that you've set for yourself have been, and you're so excited that you've been in the word and that you've been in prayer. Or maybe you haven't been in the word as much as you'd like and haven't been in prayer as much as you think you should be. You know, I'm asking a lot of these questions and again, I'm kind of poking around these things. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, um, but my goal is not to make you uncomfortable. My goal is to assess, to ask the Lord to speak to us. And we're going to do this, this whole sermon is the Lord is going to speak to us. And I believe speak to us words of encouragement from this text in Galatians chapter five. So again, how is your Christian life going right now? And why did you give that answer? You know, maybe uh, you look out in the world and you see that things are not headed towards the way that, you know, God's ways and you're so discouraged. And so your answer to that question was, you know, it's not going very well because I'm so down. God's just reign is not being brought on earth as it is in heaven. Or maybe you're on the other perspective of that where you see God's justice making inroads in communities and in areas and you're excited about what Christ, how Christ is transforming. So all of these, these pokings, these proddings, these questions, all of these things show us how we measure our Christian life. They show us how we measure, and they're really neutral things. Right? They're neutral things. They're ways that we can tell that we're moving forward or ways that we could tell that we're not moving forward, but they don't necessarily tell us the sort of core thing of how we grow. And this is the important part, is that those things are fine. They reveal interesting information, but what Paul wants to get at in here is the 
New Testament and the resurrected Christ's method for growth. This is what he wants to get at. And I want to get at this heart by asking yet another question and asking, is the Holy Spirit sufficient? Is the Holy Spirit sufficient? Is he sufficient for life right now? Is he sufficient for growth? You might sort of casually respond, obviously, Jordan, he is sufficient. The scriptures tell us this. But this was the point of my gentle, hopefully, pokings and proddings, that we would come to a deeper understanding of his sufficiency. Is he sufficient for life right now? Okay, so we set up this sermon. I want to dive into this text now. And I want to begin by giving a little bit of context, right? So if you've studied the book of Galatians, you know, wow, you, the Holy Spirit later in the book, uh, it's, it's pre- uh, prevalent, the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what we all know from Galatians chapter 5. However, I want to go back a couple chapters to chapter 3, and I want to point out that actually the Holy Spirit has been a thread throughout the entire book of Galatians. So read with me in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2, 3, and 5. There, Paul says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I'll jump down to verse 5. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? You know, some of my early memories of this text in Galatians chapter 3 are Pastor Chuck Smith's, this message that I heard more than once about having begun by the Spirit, are we now seeking to be perfected by the flesh? Right? And I think he preached this message so often because he saw Christians in the here and now wrestling with who is sufficient to get me to that place of growth that God is asking me to get to. And his, you know, repeated message is similar to Paul's, which is similar here, hopefully to mine, is that it's the Holy Spirit, right? And so in Galatians chapter three, Paul is saying there that a Christian does not live by trying to obey what he calls the law. And this is the Torah teaching in Judaism. Right? A Christian doesn't live, and that is divine life, have that resurrected life by following the Torah. Or really, there is actually no human system. There's no human advantage that will somehow land you in God's plan of life. And he wants to make that abundantly clear, that a Christian's life is by faith right now in Jesus's death and resurrection, right? Like this is a verse that we all know in uh, Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now, now, right this moment, live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
This is life right now. It is in Jesus' death and resurrection in a cycle of continually dying in Christ and being raised up in him. Jesus is the effective agent for living out any righteousness right now. And Christians live out that righteousness right now by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because to experience the Holy Spirit is to experience Christ. Christ is, or the Holy Spirit is administering the work of Christ. And if you want to experience the Spirit, you will experience the death and resurrection in Christ. See, the cross, it marks the end of all human advantage. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the cross. If you want to experience the Spirit, He will bring you into Christ's death and He will bring you out into Christ's resurrection. Now, we might all agree on that. right? Okay, Jordan, you're telling me something that I know. I've heard this teaching before. What are you drilling down on? Well, it seems that Paul, in his text here in Galatians 5, is dealing with some kind of implied question of, well, if you remove the Torah, right, the law, if you move observance of it, and this is what God has given, if you remove that, what method of growth do you have for transformation, right? If God gave this, you know, rule book to follow, what what, why wouldn't we use it? Well, Paul is dealing with that for these non-Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And let's again drill into the context here because the church in Galatia is struggling. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. It says there, If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Right? The, the, the warning is you are biting and devouring one another. Be careful. You could consume one another. And in fact, he says almost the same thing at the end of the section in verse 26, where he says, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The context of all this argument is a church, is a community that is struggling with sin. Because in this life right now, we struggle. And that's what Pastor Brian's been talking about. We struggle with sin. We struggle with issues coming up. And the truth that Paul is trying to convey is, here is God's plan for you to move through that struggle, for you to move into that new life. Now he wants to make it clear. He says, verse 18, look, you are not under the law. You are not under the Torah observance, right? As a non-Jew, you don't have to follow the Jewish system, even though it's God-given. You don't have to follow that. But that doesn't mean that you're lawless. Look at verse 17, where it says there that the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. Right? This indwelling experience of the Holy Spirit opposes the heart that, according to Paul, says here, does whatever 
it pleases. Right? The Holy Spirit is sent to work within you to oppose those desires that want to say, I'm going to do whatever I want. And the Holy Spirit is sufficient in that. And we need to trust that. And so this is my first statement. The Holy Spirit is sufficient to lead you. The Holy Spirit is sufficient to lead you. Right? We're wrestling through sin, like I've been saying, like Pastor Brian's been saying. Well, how do you make decisions to move through that? How do you navigate that? How do you answer the questions that arise? At each turn, how do you make your decisions? Are you afraid of how to move forward? Are you stuck? The Holy Spirit will lead you to freedom. This is what Paul begins chapter 5 with, right? Look, you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So the Holy Spirit brings this freedom, but he is also actively working within us to oppose selfish desires. And so what is he doing? What exactly is going on in our heart? How exactly is the Holy Spirit leading you? Well, Paul does some word magic here in chapter 5, verse 13 at the beginning of our text. And he says something I think is kind of shocking. He says there, look at it. He says, for you were called to freedom, right? We celebrate that. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So remember earlier uh, in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, you know, don't return to a yoke of slavery, but he uses the same uh, related word here in verse 13 to say the work of the Spirit is going to lead you to serving. And this word is actually a bit stronger than simply serving. It probably more literally means enslave yourself in service. Right? This is kind of ironic. Right? That Paul is saying you've been set aside to freedom through the work of Christ who is uh, applied that work through the Spirit. Now the work of the Spirit is going to lead you to enslave yourself in service to others. Crazy, right? So how is this working out? How, you know, pull back some more of these details again. Uh, and let's do that now by looking at this word, the flesh, and comparing it to the spirit. What is the flesh? Well, according to Pauline scholar Douglas Moo, he says that the flesh is the dominating power in the lives of all human beings outside of Christ. Right, so it's this idea that it's a, a power outside, that, um, outside of Christ that controls. Right? All humanity is subject to this power. Another quotation from Martinez de Boer says that the flesh's power is to shape our desires, what we want, and to shape them toward things that ultimately destroy human existence. See, this is how uh, poisonous 
the flesh and sin is, is if we gratify the desires that the flesh cultivates, it will end in both our and humanity's destruction. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to build a new creation. Out of the old, he makes the new. He is in that process now, and this is why he sends the Spirit. The flesh desires for self-advantage, and the Spirit is opposed to those, right? And let's be honest, most of the time, our desires for self-advantage are also lawless, right? They're, They're not subject to any law, and no law can contain them as the Torah, the the Jewish law, could not contain them, nor could any human system. But the Holy Spirit, who sent within us, opposes those things, works within us, right? It's so important that the Torah, any human system, even those things that we mentioned at the beginning of the service, right, that make you feel like you're doing well in your Christian life, those are fine things, they're neutral things, but unless they are subject to the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit, they are powerless against the flesh. Those led by the Spirit are empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit is sufficient in this to lead, and He will lead you to serve and to even enslave yourself as a servant unto others. Why is that? Why why the strong language, Paul, about enslaving yourself in service? Well, because he has Christ in his mind, who became the servant of all. Remember that passage in Philippians chapter 2? Humbled himself, became a servant. God in his character and his nature had always been a servant and Jesus in his incarnation demonstrated that attribute that he is a servant which took him all the way to the end of death. But again, in that death, he was resurrected. He was raised up. Now, this is kind of heavy stuff. And so we're sort of dealing with the concept of the Holy Spirit leading us And we see that the Holy Spirit will lead us. He'll get us there. We can trust him in that. He is sufficient in that. But it's also about what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. And at this point, I want to say that the Holy Spirit is sufficient to change you. Right? Yes, he will lead you. He will lead you to that life that is from God, that life that is in Christ. The Holy Spirit to all who call on the name of Jesus is sent and indwells them and he will lead you to that life. But he is also working inside you to change you. Let's jump ahead uh, to chapter 6 and we can see a bit of this in chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. There Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul here doesn't tell us what the seeds are that are necessarily being planted here, but he does tell us what the soil is. And the one soil is one who 
patterns their life after the flesh. Right? In Galatia, the culture, you could say, or the human system, or we could say the realm of the flesh, uh, was one of competition for honor. Right? And they would compete for that. Wealth, you know, physical prowess, athletic ability, education, all of those things set them up at a certain uh, standard to be honored. Sound familiar? <laughs> right? And the more that a person achieved these things, the more honor they would receive from the culture. And the culture told even the church who they should honor and why they should honor them. And much of what Paul writes here in the letter to the Galatians is to combat that system and to say, no, let Christ tell you who you should honor and how a person should be honored. He says that actually the person who should be honored is the person who yields honor. And then as they yield honor, then they'll be given honor. Right? It's like a bicycle pedal. On the one hand, you're yielding honor, you're submitting yourself, humbling yourself, and on the other hand, you're being honored in that process. This directly combats the culture uh, that was happening in Galatia. You know, in the very next chapter, in chapter 6, uh, just before what we read in verses 7 and 8, Paul gives an illustration or really some prescription of how to deal with a brother or sister who's entangled in scandal. How do you do that? How do you navigate that? And the ultimate place that he lands with some wise circumspection is to land on restoration in Christ. You know what the truth is, the sad, sad truth, is in a day and age where we have news and information at our fingertips, we know within seconds when scandal breaks, the conversation rarely, almost never, turns towards restoration. And if it does, it's shallow and haphazard. But you see, even in these early New Testament books, Paul is writing to the church to say, God's heart is to honor those who are even caught in scandal, that they could be restored in Christ. There is hope for them. Christ died and they can die and be resurrected. And I think about this day and age and how many times we, even in the church, write people off, even write ourselves off, not understanding that God wants to raise us up in resurrection through the work of what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. See, the Holy Spirit changes who, are, who the Galatian culture says to honor, that's true. And there's no better example of change than going through the works of the flesh here listed in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, right? This 15, you know, list of 15 vices. There's no better example of the Holy Spirit's change than going through that list and comparing it with the list of the fruit of the Spirit. But as we do that, again, I want to anchor this text in uh, the church of Galatia, right? Look at verse 19. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. That is, this is how the Galatians specifically used to live. This is illustrative of their dominating realm of the flesh. 
And it's interesting, if you look at verse 19 through 21, you know, Paul gives the behaviors, the now life, if you will, of those who are governed by the flesh. He doesn't talk about internal struggles or the intentions behind them. He does deal with that in other places. He doesn't tell you what the Galatian worldview was. No, he focuses on the now life actions themselves. And I think uh, an easy way for us to grasp this is to read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, uh, which I think captures Paul's essential meaning. This is in the message of uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Eugene Peterson says there, It is obvious what kind of a life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. That's the realm of the flesh, right? This is the list. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly, parodies of community. Right? That's the reality that the Galatian church faced before the preaching of the gospel. And as Paul is counseling them now not to give in to even the spiritual advice of these agitators, which prescribed just another human system, as good as it was, Paul says, you will end up in this same thing. But what you need now is the work of the Spirit. This is how Paul concludes this section in verse 21. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that believers don't struggle with sin. They do, but it's those who practice these things. This is not an excuse for sin, but this prescribes an altered future. When these things become patterns, when these things become habits, we know in that moment that we have a different future and our future is in Christ. How do we change? Well, the first thing that we do is we go to the Lord in repentance and we say, Lord, I'm sorry for my brutal temper or I'm sorry for my resistance or my impotence to love or to being loved. I'm sorry for cultivating a divided home or a divided life or depersonalizing every person into a rival. I'm sorry for those things. Will you forgive me? Will you raise me up in Christ? We do that every moment. You could say first that God singles out an area, a work of the flesh. That's, it hurts to know that we're struggling, that things in our Christian life might not be good. But the next thing he says soon after that is receive the gift of Christ. Receive it. 
Acknowledge it honestly that you're struggling and receive the forgiveness that comes through Christ. And then as he begins to change you, know this, that the Holy Spirit is sufficient to strengthen you. That the Holy Spirit is sufficient to strengthen you. You see, in Paul's letter here, standing out against the Torah, the law, or any other human system which is powerless to change, standing out against the flesh which is dangerous and powerful, only serving one's selfish inward desires, standing out against both of those is the Holy Spirit bearing fruit of the character of God himself. This is what characterizes one who walks in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not weird. The Holy Spirit is not some bizarre experience. It is manifesting the character of God in our actual life. Now, the list that Paul gives here in Galatians is what uh, first century scholars call a virtue list. And Paul uses this writing technique of virtue lists Elsewhere in his letters, he does it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He does it in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, which is where we've been, which is why I'm teaching this section today. But I want to point out a couple things about these other lists compared to what we know as the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5. First, there is no overlap in the list uh, of Philippians 4.8 compared to the list in Galatians chapter 5. There's no overlap. It's really unique. That Philippians list is unique. In fact, if you look at Colossians, the list there, you have the similar virtues of love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? That's five of the nine fruits of the Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5. But Paul goes on to list six more virtues, or you could call them fruits of the Spirit, that are not listed here in the book of Galatians. So, Jordan, why do you point this out? Why did you interrupt such a good statement about the Holy Spirit manifesting the character of God with this point? This is why. Because Paul's lists here are anchored in his audience's reality. Another way to say this is that God is speaking through Paul to the Galatian church about specifically the fruit that he wants to bear in their actual life. And my belief is, looking at these other texts, that God is speaking to you about the fruit that he wants to bear in your actual life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking these things to you. It's not grand necessarily. It's not crazy experience. It is the human work or the human change by the divine work of God in our actual life. I mean, look at some of these things. Love. I mean, compare that to chapter 5, verse 15, where Paul says, don't bite and devour one another. What is a church that doesn't bite and devour one another? It's a church that loves each other. Or look at joy. Paul says in the list of the works of the flesh, don't boast. But here he says, rather be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at peace. 
Right? Paul says at the end of chapter 5, verse 26, don't, you know, compete against one another. What is different than a, a group of Christians who are constantly bickering and competing with one another? It's those who are at peace with one another. And we could continue down the list. Look at patience, right? Again, chapter 5, verse 15, being consumed by one another. Do we have the patience to not consume one another, but instead be patient with one another, to walk alongside one another, right? Like I know a lot of us right now are at home a lot with our housemates, with our children, with our spouses, with our family. So patience is probably one of those virtues, one of those fruits that the Holy Spirit is seeking to cultivate because we don't want to consume one another. That is the flesh. But look at kindness, right? Kindness, you could compare it to envying one another. Again, from chapter 5, verse 26, where you're looking at someone else and you're wishing you had what, what they had instead of being happy for them. In kindness or goodness. You know, look at chapter 5, verse 17, where it talks about everyone who's driven by the flesh does what they please. No, we don't just not do what we please because we're morally upstanding Christians. We don't do what we please because we have the goodness of God through the fruit of the Spirit within us. And it's a supernatural work. You can look at faithfulness, Right? There are many opportunities for the flesh, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 13. But having that gift, that fruit of the Spirit, to be faithful. Or what about gentleness? Again, we could look at boasting and say, you know what? I hear all the time you going off on social media. I'm going to respond in gentleness, not because I'm just telling myself to grit my teeth, holding on, you know, for dear life to not say what I really feel but I'm driven by gentleness through the work of the Spirit. And of course, number nine on the list of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I think, again, this flies in the face of a culture in the area of Galatia where there was competition. They would compete against one another. And instead of trying to exert themselves to be better, to be known, to be the most whatever, they had control. This was a work of the Spirit in their life. So let's apply this as we wrap this up. Since the Holy Spirit is sufficient, let's ask him some things. Since the Holy Spirit is sufficient, let's ask, who are you asking me to serve? Who is the Holy Spirit asking you to serve? Remember from chapter 5, verse 13, you've been set free to serve. Who is the Holy Spirit asking you to serve? Now, I believe that those of you who are trusting in Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, are hearing right now someone in your mind, maybe even seeing that face of a person you're called to serve. And that might not be an easy thing to hear. That might not be the thing you want to hear, but is it the thing that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you? Let's ask the Holy Spirit, where is the Holy Spirit challenging you to change? 
You know, maybe when I read through Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message, something jumped out at you and you scribbled it down in your notes or maybe you have it in the back of your mind. Or maybe it's not on this list of the works of the flesh here from Galatians. Well, there's a whole lot longer list of what's called the vice list in Romans chapter 1. Right? God is sometimes pointing out these things. And remember, it's because the flesh will ultimately end in humanity's destruction. God does not want us to sow to the flesh and reap corruption He wants us to sow to the Spirit. So allow Him to point that thing out. What is that thing? And it's often the most human thing in your life. You're reacting poorly in anger, in lust, in greed. These things are stirred up. You're dissatisfied because this person has what you think you should have. You're angry and frustrated over what someone has done and they've never apologized. It's eating at you. Let God point it out to you because what he does there again is he extends the gift of Christ to say, allow Christ to take it in his death and allow him to raise you up in resurrection. And the last question I have for us today is ask the Holy Spirit what fruit is he trying to produce within you? What fruit is the Holy Spirit trying to produce within you? What is he doing within you? God is working. He is at work and there are all types of human systems of the flesh around us. This is one of Satan's chief strategies is to engage human systems of the flesh. But God sent his son to begin a new creation which is brought into being through the work of the spirit and the spirit wants to bring that new world, that new creation out of you. It could be one of the fruits of the Spirit here. Maybe it's from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Or maybe it's from Philippians 4, verse 8. Or maybe it's something that isn't in those letters. What virtue, what fruit is the Holy Spirit trying to do within you? As we close, the takeaway that I'm asking for is to simply ask. Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He is at work. Cry out to him. There have been moments in my one year here or even more recently as we've navigated some things in my life just where I'm crying out to the Lord, crying out in the Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, will you reveal these things? Will you do these things within me? Because I know, I know, just like Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I know that Jesus will give. I know that Jesus will supply. I know that even if I were to die, I would be raised up in him. Literally, metaphorically, spiritually, I have a future that is in Christ, which means resurrection. And I just want us to ask because that is God's method for our growth, the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't think I could ask us to ask if I didn't ask myself 
Lord, as I in a new job and in need continually of your work of your spirit, I ask that you would fill me. In specific ways, Lord, I ask that you would give me wisdom. I ask that you would give me gentleness and goodness. And Jesus, as I'm asking for these, I pray, Lord, that you would lead this congregation who's at home through K-Wave, wherever they are, to ask to cry out to the to the Spirit, and that you would fill them as they sit or stand with your Spirit in such a way that the character of God would be manifested in their actual life. That despite COVID, despite whatever we face in our culture today, we would see the work, the new creation work of the Holy Spirit in this region. And Lord, we know that that's the type of work you want to do. It's the type of work you want to work through us. And we give you thanks for that. Jesus, oh, that we could taste just a little bit more of the new thing that you're doing, the new work, the new creation that you're forming within us. Because your plans for us are so beautiful and so good. So Jesus, we ask this in your name, through your work, Amen.